springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Every bunny loves honey-glazed carrots, a great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Wine is made in virtually every country in the world, and I'm ready to give you a tour to find the right one. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers! This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hang.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. From burnout and exhaustion to joy and fulfillment. Through the act of serving consciously, it's time to rediscover your passion. It's live with Elizabeth and guests on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop. And as always, I'm so thrilled to be here today and so happy that you've taken time to join us. In this hour, we talk about conscious service from a number of perspectives. Service in traditional formats, service from an alternative healing perspective, service in personal life. We go from social work to energy work and back again. And it's all part of sharing what the conscious service approach means to me. You can find more about this approach and my programs and services by visiting servingconsciously.com. One of my favorite parts of doing this show is chatting with my guests and learning about the important and valuable work that so many people are doing in this world. Today, we focus on the element of conscious service that I refer to as enlightened communication. It's all about the art of language. And I would like to remind you, too, that you can call in any time to speak with us or ask any questions that might come up. The number is one 844 3908255. I'm honored today to introduce you to my guest, Valerie Marks. Valerie is a retired public school teacher who left her career at the age of 32, sounds like a fantasy for most people, to start an educational services organization grounded in the principles of Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, an organization that would provide parents and educational institutions with resources to best nurture, protect, and educate the generations here to recreate our world. During her time in the classroom, Valerie also developed an English language arts curriculum that uses rhythmic thought patterns to teach academics, not only to build analytical skills within common core subjects, but also to open up the student's psyche for creativity and receptivity. Valerie is a mother to three children of her own, ages 10, 8, and 6. Because one of her sons was identified as autistic, uh, I'm sorry, autistic just months after her leap of faith into retirement, Valerie's life mission in creating the Maslow Educational Services Organization took a sharp turn, pulling her out of the classroom entirely and deep into the world of autism. With a population each so uniquely divine, this new chapter deepened her understanding of the needs and challenges facing the youth of today. Valerie is currently stepping back into the classroom through her new company, Mark's Education, where the mission is to teach children how to look at the whole English language for its individual parts so they can craft their own words to accurately express their ideas, thoughts, and feelings, as well as to keenly understand the words and the intentions of others. She also speaks her truth to a more intellectual audience through blogs on her Facebook page at Valerie Marks, writing and shooting short videos on topics about self-acceptance, intimacy, and unconditional love. Valerie is here to talk about how she is serving consciously through her life mission, teaching adults how to nurture, protect, and educate a generation here to deconstruct our current world, not just to restore it, but creatively recreate life as we know it into a beautiful future. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Valerie. Hi, 
Elizabeth. Hi. <laughs> I'm I was so, just so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad that we were uh, able to connect and to make this happen today. It's so exciting, and I can't wait to learn more about your, your programs and your work and your services. But do you think you could tell us a bit, a little bit more about your journey and how you came to be doing the work that you're doing now? Sure. Um, yeah, so I taught uh, public school education for about 10 years, and most of that time was spent in fifth grade. And um, by the end of that career, I was departmentalized into English language arts. And that was perfect for me because as I was working through grad school, I wound up taking two courses that um, were electives and threw me off my master's course. <laughs> um, they, but they were uh, the most influential courses that really geared me towards this educational organization and the curriculum that I've developed. Um, and um, so it helped I'm, me to go ahead. Were you I'm, saying? Sorry, I'm just curious about what those electives were. Okay, yeah. Well, I was going to veer <laughs> off and talk about that. <laughs> so, one was digital storytelling in the classroom. And that is where I obtained one of my most favorite books called Digital Storytelling in the Classroom, New Media Pathways to Literacy, Learning, and Creativity. And that was written by Jason B. Oler. And inside that um, text is where I discovered the story arc. And um, he has a modified arc that he uses um, to teach. And digital storytelling is um, basically telling a story um, which primarily follows, as I realized later, jo- Joseph Campbell's um, story oh, cool. plotline. Yeah, um, and um, he modified it to be constructive technologically, so kids would make mini movies. Um, in there, I learned how to do the door scene, uh, for example, which is the the first um, like basic film 101. <laughs> and yeah, and um, I learned how to work through. Um, iMovie and made some really fun things actually, but that's where I discovered the story arc. And then I further modified it to work with English language arts and it serves as the singular, most important, um, foundational course that I offer. Um, so I pulled that from the digital storytelling class. Um, another one that I had was, um, what was it even called? It was psychology. It was like technological psychology. And through that course is where I discovered um, a book called A Whole New Mind, and it's by Daniel H. Pink. And some people may have heard of him through Oprah because she had um, featured him on more than one occasion. And she actually gave this book to a graduating class at some university, um, Why Right-Brainers Will Rule the Future. Mm. And Yeah, and here he talks about right-directed thinking and left-directed thinking. And how the left directed, left directed thinking is the, um, it's the more, um, logical, um, analytical, organized, uh, side of the brain. And then the, um, right side is the creativity, the receptivity. And that was perfect because I already had been starting to kind of construct this mentality myself, um, and implement it into my own pedagogy with my class, um, about, working through habitual processes in order to open your mind to further analyze and to create and to, you know, receive through their own sort of meditation. You know, you ever have like a problem or an issue and you don't know 
you don't know what to do. You're stuck. So then you start washing the dishes or, you know, you mow the lawn or it's while you're driving. And then all of a sudden you start to think like you, you, it starts to unravel, like the knot starts to loosen. Yeah. And, and that's because you're putting your body through a repetitive pattern and it kind of goes, the left side of your brain kind of goes into autopilot. So the right side of your brain is then open to really explore and to receive and create. So those were the two classes that really propelled um, the curriculum that I then developed and, and used in my own classroom. I love that. I love how it, you know, sometimes we're, we're going in and I think this is probably common for lots of people going into any kind of academic, you know, um, process you go in with a certain expectation of what you, about what you're going to be learning and what about you know, the basic theoretical, you know, information, whatever it might be. And quite often that's, you know, it's very important. I know for sure in my background, as far as human services is concerned, all that, you know, theoretical underpinnings and the, the foundational information we needed in order to be able to learn how to work with other people was very important. But then it's this outside, it's this other exploration where you least expect, um, you know, to learn something that's going to be relevant that often sparks that real passion and that real creativity. And it sounds like that's what happened for you with these electives. Right. And, you know, taking it into what was fantastic about that grad school while I was working is that even though it was overwhelming, my mind was constantly being engaged. And then I was taking what I was studying and I was applying it right away um, in the classroom. And when you do that, you're kind of feeling through the water yourself, but you have this audience of these young, fresh, um, pliable, receptive and eager minds who are um offering back to you their thoughts and insights on what you're saying. And so, you know, there would be times where, for example, when I was teaching um, sentence diagramming, which is a huge part of my curriculum, and sentence dissecting, they would come up with questions that would then spur me into a game that we could play. And then it turned into being like, I don't remember exactly how it went. It was like um, a Wheel of Fortune type of game where they would have clues and then we would turn letters. And the whole experience itself is so fruitful, um, not just for them, but it was for me, too. And I would tell them, you know, I'm writing a book. I'm writing a sentence dissecting diagramming book and you're helping me write it. <laughs> for sure. And I mean, yeah. that's where learning becomes so powerful, too. Right. Like, I mean, I think we do. You know, we take concepts in intellectually, mentally. We have to sort of make sense of it, like you say, even with the, um, you know, with the logical, analytical part of things. And then when we really want to embody something, it has to sink down into a, into a different part of ourselves, into our heart, into our soul, and then, you know, be made manifest through our actions. And so learning like intellectually and then actually having the opportunity to apply it in life or in our work is huge. It's huge for, um, I think speeding up the learning curve. Right. Right. You know, the best way to learn something is to teach it to somebody else. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I was able to, um, kind of feel through where my inadequacies were with that. You know, if I would start trying to apply something I was learning in my digital storytelling class and I realized, Oh, I don't remember. I could go, I could like say pause and I would go back and check it. And so, um, yeah, you're learning on the job too. So, you know, you know, I say, I don't just teach what I learn. I learn as I'm teaching as well. We're all learners together. I totally agree with that. And, and I think that's so powerful, whether it, whether we're looking, you know, specifically traditional teaching classroom kinds of situations. But I know that's been so powerful for me as well, um, in human services and being of service to other people. We're all learning together. It's a partnership, really. Yes. Yes. 
the parent-teacher partnership is something that's really strongly emphasized when you are working um, with students, whether it's public school, private school, um, cyber schools. It, it really has to be a team effort. It's not just mm-hmm. a lecturer um, and a receiver. Yes, student, and student as well, the parent, teacher, and student. Mm-hmm. A team. Yes. I love that analogy. So tell us more. You were talking about your master's. I kind of veered you off there asking about those electives because I couldn't contain my curiosity. Um, <laughs> I'm like a master digressor. So it's okay. <laughs> <I can> relate. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So, um, we had come to a point in, in the, the, um, I don't want to say the school year, but in progress of things where, um, the district was in between curricula. So they were the old curriculum that they had for English language arts, which is ELA, um, was phasing out and they were piloting a new one. Um, and we had this one year where we didn't really have a curriculum. <laughs> it was kind of like, well, we bought some supplemental t- um, texts. You could try to use some of these. And, and it just so happened to be the very first year that the Pennsylvania Common Core was being implemented. And so the PSSAs were now going to be linear to those standards. And, um, you know, there's a lot of um, dissension um, regarding Common Core. And I'll be the first to stand up and say, I absolutely love it for English language arts. And and I'll speak primarily to that. I do like it for math as well. But, you know, ELA is my department. That's where I specialize. Um, It's amazing. And I think it was developed exactly at the right time for this wave of children who are coming through. I mean, it was developed by professionals. It's not just um, politicians who developed it. And it's a shame that it's become such a political stigma um this is but, the common core that you're talking about yeah mm-hmm. so to give us a bit of a when you say common core what does that mean so there's a new set of standards they're not i guess they're not new anymore but it requires students to not just um memorize and recite and regurgitate facts it mm-hmm. requires them to analyze and to think more critically and to understand why things are the way that they are um and it has very specific guidelines for rubrics for how it's going to assess these things. It's very much higher order thinking. The math has shifted greatly from what it was before. But you have to understand the old standards were written um, for um, generations of people who were looking at a world that would be technologically motivated. So it was going to be you will be computer programmers or you will join the service or you will work in a factory. And it was very much more of like the left brain um, sort of directed thinking and, mm-hmm. and they've been revamped to kind of utilize more of that right side brain where you have to look more in depth into a text and understand, um, overarching themes and how it affects the perspective of the characters as opposed to just what is the plot. Um, so it requires them to think more deeply into, um, the content that they're learning. Okay. I love that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I used to tell my students, because like I said, this was the first year that um, the PSSA was coming out. So so my students in the district in which I was working were going to be taking this big, bad PSSA um, without updated materials for the most part. I mean, we had a little bit of supplementation that came in, but, you know, in this outdated curriculum. Right. And I used to tell my students, don't you dare let anybody tell you that this is too hard for you. This is not too hard for you. These standards were meant for you because you can handle this. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, so that year, you know, there, there is some other teachers who were not happy. I don't have a curriculum. What am I supposed to do? And they're scared because, you know, a lot of them had been teaching for a very long time. They were accustomed to the way things were and change is scary. Um, but then you have me strolling in like with these new grad classes and, and like super motivated. And I was like, this is my playground. Are you kidding? I get to pick my own curriculum. So what I did that year is I had, um, I had three classes and they all ranged anywhere from low, um, to average to some high average. Um, but that's basically a demographic I was working with. And, um, you know, with essentially no materials. <laughs> so what I did is I took, I took the old materials that we had and I made the, um, the, the pedagogy, the way I taught it, the, the process by which I was teaching it, um, I curtailed it to myself and to these higher order standards that I had seen. So for example, um, we may have had a story where the skill, the particular literary skill we were learning that time was, um, um, timeline or something. Um, so I would take that story and instead of just teaching timeline, I front loaded all of the skills at the beginning of the year. And we started an interactive notebook and I taught them the basic story arc, um, about how it has a clear beginning, middle and end, which is one of the common core standards. And I taught them how to pick out, um, specific literary skills out of those particular sections. So if you can picture an arc like a rainbow mm-hmm. and it's divided with two lines, making it three sections. The right. first section is the beginning, obviously. And the two skills that you, <laughs> that you will find there, um, essentially in every story, whether it be fiction, um, even nonfiction stories in elementary readers would be, um, the setting and the characters and characterization or character trait. And so that's your typical once upon a time in a kingdom far away, there was a beautiful princess, for example. And so in that graphic organizer, we would um, address setting, which is when and where. So it was when, once upon a time, where in a kingdom far away, and then the character. Um, The main character is going to be introduced in the beginning in these types of stories. Of course, as you move through more advanced literature, um, the arc gets rearranged and you might have main characters introduced after the conflict and that sort of thing. But this is very basic. And so the main character in this case would be the princess. And that's where we're going to find out who that princess is at the beginning um, and the character traits that are going to define her. As she goes. So the fact that they said she's a beautiful princess right off the bat, um, her beauty is going to play some kind of role in the story. And, and quite frankly, because as we go through, um, in teaching in this notebook, characters are dynamic. And so something's going to change with that. Um, so then you come to the conflict. Now the conflict is a C at the top of that first line. And that's going to look like the goal or the challenge or the problem. And, that marks the end of the beginning. I include that in the beginning. So as we're reading through a text, that's where my students would draw a line across it to divide it. Um, or if they're in, in like a reader or some sort of anthology, then they would use a sticky note to mark that that's the end of the beginning. Okay. Uh, so once that conflict has been introduced, then the character is moving through the middle. Now, um, at the bottom of our organizer, I would always draw like a little car driving across <laughs> and show that this is the journey. This is the adventure of this character. And in the middle is where we'll have sequence and we'll have cause and effect. Um, 
sequence, cause and effect. Those are the two basic skills that we would have in the middle there. Um, and this is where you will see different events that are either driven by the character or driven by the setting, um, driven by the plot in some way. Um, you'll see how it changes that character. Uh, the story I would use to kick everything off in the beginning of the year was The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein, my favorite, favorite books ever. And um, it's very basic and it has a very um, um, obvious arc to it. And so, you know, an example of teaching those two skills would be, you know, first the boy um, wants money. So she gives him her apples and then he wants, um, I don't know, he wants to build a boat and that sort of thing. So she gives him what he needs and you, you're able to see the story progressing forward based on these events. Right. And then you get to um, the other C at the top of the second line that splits the arc. And that would be um, the climax. It's also known as the resolution um, where you find the solution. Now, this is where the problem is solved or the challenge is met. Um, the goal is achieved. And I would always explain to my students, this is kind of like the part of the story, the movie that you're watching that you're like, shh, shh, I've been waiting for this. And the movie and, and the music gets loud and it's very dramatic. It's it's the battle scene. <laughs> it's, <Right. laughs> it's the best part of the movie and everyone needs to be quiet. And um and that's where you're going to see that how the character changed in their dynamics is what solves the problem. So um, I, I include that in the middle. That is the end of the middle. And that's where the students would um, break it apart. And then the end is what we call the new normal. And it's always going to be parallel to the beginning in some way. So I'd always encourage my students to determine how it is the same as the beginning. Um, it's kind of where you hear that things come full circle. Um, it's where you often can determine the theme of the story. That's where we would usually hone in on that. Um, because however that character changed to solve whatever problem is the theme of the story. It's basically how you can decode it. Um, yeah, so you're so, actually just helping me with something here <laughs> as you're talking about this that I'm working on right now. And I have a whole picture being painted in my mind yes. about what I uh, can do with this piece that I'm working on right now. So thank you. <laughs> hey, we can talk afterwards. There's so For much sure. more, but you know, I'm just kind of trying to like blow through it. But um, so I use this arc. Um, as the, the foundation of everything that I teach, because this arc itself isn't just for reading and decoding stories. Um, it's also for um, test taking strategies. Like I said, we, we um, delineate between the beginning, middle and end and the certain um, skills and things located therein. Um, it can be used for expository nonfiction. It can be used for, you know, like your science textbook. What does the beginning of a science chapter always look like? Well, it's going to be an overview. Um, and what does the middle look like? Well, the middle, this is where we would definitely bulletize what the important facts were within that chapter. And then the end is going to be the summary. And so we would use this as a study guide for the more concrete subjects as well. Um, using it for writing, you know, there are different modes of writing. Um, we use uh, something called, well, author's purpose is the skill. I mean, use something called I love pie. So it's I, and then the heart stands for um, the purpose of expressing feelings. And um, the P stands for persuasive. The I stands for informative. And the E stands for entertainment or entertaining writing. And so, 
students, you know, say for PSSA and through their um, required curriculum are um, they have to write these modes of um, of writing. Now I'm being redundant again. <laughs> but anyway, because I'm getting lost, I think ahead of myself and then like my mouth can't catch up. So <laughs> you're just so, fine. Yeah, we do this. And so, and so what I would find is that even through these fantastic workshops that we would take through in services, um, there were always these, always these new gimmicks and these new graphic organizers to, um, um, write these fantastic pieces. And while they were really great, it's not versatile. It's not something that you can take across all of the genres or across all of the modes. It was like they each had their own. So, when the students are so used to constantly breaking down things that they read um, with with the arc, and because it's very, very simple, they then can apply it to their own writing. So they take that same, like, um, rhythmic, methodical, uh, thank you, methodical right. <laughs> um, <laughs> thought process, and they can apply it, and they, it can be um, original from themselves. Right, need- so it's very transferable. Yes. And it's not just elementary. I mean, that's something that you take with you into high school. How I wish somebody had taught me this when I was going through school. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's really powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to get to also the sort of the personal part of your story that led to you kind of <laughs> shifting gears. But let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk a bit about that as well. Sure. You're listening to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop. Today, we are joined with Valerie Marks, and we'll be right back after this message. Is part of your life mission to be of service to others? Making a difference in the world is a tall order. You are the resource when it comes to serving humanity. Beyond taking care of yourself, learn to create self-connection in your life. Integrate who you are with what you do find a source of inspiration and energy that surpasses your wildest imagination. Register for the Self-Connection Series at www.elizabethbishopconsulting.com. Look under Programs and Services for details. Are you a helping professional looking for inspiration? resources, and community. Visit socialworkhelper.com for relevant articles and learning opportunities. Connect with other difference makers in the world. Socialworkhelper.com
Well, welcome back to Serving Consciously, everyone. I'm so thrilled. We've been having this great conversation. My guest today is Valerie Marks, and I want to dive into more of your your sort of backstory here, Valerie, and I'd like to pick up where you sort of made that shift, you know, and took that retirement. I've got <laughs> quotes in the air at the age of 32 okay. to do something a little bit different, but still incorporating what you've already learned and what you've known and what you're committed to. Could you tell us a bit about how that transpired? Sure. sure. Okay. So, you know, kind of picking up where I left off before I digress a little um, with this curriculum that I implemented into my classroom that, that year. Um, long story short, when the PSSAs did come around with the group that I had, which, like I had said, it was anywhere from low to mostly average and a little bit of high average. I had 72% proficiency, um, within my class. And that was really, um, the wind that I needed in my sails to say, I got something here. I know what I'm talking about. And, um, and it doesn't matter what materials I have in front of me. I can use outdated materials. And, um, I don't, we, I, I was asked because I was a part of the, that department to sit on, I guess, essentially a panel to determine whether we were going to purchase this new, um, this new curriculum, this ELA curriculum. And now I'll tell you what, I had an anxiety attack <laughs> and I'm not an anxious person at all. I had an anxiety attack where I couldn't breathe sitting in this meeting because there was so much fluff and so many bells and whistles and just such this like over overwhelming abundance of materials that were not efficient that, um, I realized at that point, like, I don't, where I am right now is not where I'm going. And it's time that I take this and I move it outside of this classroom. Um, so I was driving to work one day and um, thinking, just thinking through things and really being introspective and really, you know, praying and, you know, what what should I do about all of this? And I, I, I like to say that it's when God proposed to me. It was like, I love it. <laughs> like finally I've been waiting for so long and, <laughs> and um it, I started to just realize and you know you can hear things inside of yourself and it and it was God essentially saying you know you're going to leave they're going to retire you know I was like oh my god retire like you're going, what? I was, you're going to retire and you're going to start an educational services organization. And you know, whenever you're in that sort of meditative or prayerful position, it's, um, as my friend and sensei Christopher Wateki says, it's, it's a dialogue. It's not just listening. It's not one way radio. And so at that time I said, like, I needed more than just that. You know, that's kind of a big deal. And, um, and he said it was going to be Maslow educational services. And it's like, like Abraham Maslow. Yeah. So it was the hierarchy of needs and, um, except for it was an inverted pyramid. So it's not that the order of the basic needs was altered. It was the pyramid shape itself. So instead of the point, the apex being at the top where transcendence is just above self-actualization, that's at the bottom. And it's almost like it's opening up to the top. Almost like the crown chakra opening up to the top. I love it. And yeah, and um, I said okay, and then I started like having um, these thoughts or visions of things that were like synchronicity validations one after another. So I had written it down at some point, and I should have looked at that before I started talking to you again to refresh <laughs> it. But I remember one thing was 
there was something about a chili pepper. I had just seen a chili pepper in a garden and it was something about the seeds inside of it that I had noticed. Like, you know how you see something and it just sticks to you for a second? You're like, oh, and then you move yes. on. With it. So I, I was, I brought, that was like brought back to the forefront of my consciousness. So it was that. And then all of a sudden, like right on top of it was again, a, um, a memory from the other day where a coworker was walking down the hallway going, I'm a pepper, you're a pepper. And so, and you know, I wasn't thinking about these things. It was brought forth, you know, into my, into my um, vision. And, you know, there were several things like that, that all of a sudden were like reassuring. And I'll tell you, um, like I started crying, I was just crying. And um, the colors of, of my world around me were brighter. Um, I felt like I was floating when I was walking. Um, it was really like this transcendental experience. Um, and at that point I knew that this is what I'm supposed to do. And, um, it has since expanded. Um, I realized that it's not just the academia though. That is the first part I have to push forward and get that out there. And then it's going to move on to some other things. So, which I'll get to then. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, I called my husband and I'm like, I, I think I'm going to retire. <laughs> Can we afford this? No, but we'll make it work. <laughs> wow. You know, and, and he's 100% supportive. And, um, so yeah, I put in for retirement. People laughed at me. You know, there's a whole, there was a whole slew of other possible money-making avenues that opened up for me at that time. And so everything's bright and good and woohoo, I'm going to start this organization. And so basically this Maslow Educational Services was to um, pull together like balloons on a string, strings um, into a bunch resources that educational entities could tap into to meet each level within that hierarchy of needs. So the very basic needs, um, like the, the biological needs, there would be resources there for families who can't afford to meet those needs. Um, and then all the way up through, say, cognitive, and that's where my academics come into play. And then it moves up into more um, in the more self-actualization and the transcendence. So those are the more spiritual aspects. So we're looking at the whole child for each individual part. Um, and yeah. that was that was the premise of this organization. Um, so, you know, great. I reached out to a friend of mine who had recently started her own business just to say, Hey, you know, I haven't seen you in a long time. Let's get together. Let's talk about this. Now at the same time, my um, son, um, who is now eight, seven at the time had a traumatic experience on the school bus and that left him um, really with a PTSD situation. Wow. And, um, um, without going into too many details and things, because I always try to remember that it's his life and I want to respect his life and not divulge all of his information. You know, when he's old enough and he wants to do it on a large scale, which I'm sure he will, um, then I'll let him do that. But in any event, um, it was very, very, very tumultuous. And we went through things that I would wish on nobody and no parent. And uh, he was diagnosed or identified, I prefer to say, as mm -hmm. autistic with autism. And he is what you would consider, um, by old terms, Asperger's, um, Asperger's syndrome. He's very high functioning on the spectrum, very, very intelligent. But, you know, in, in the scheme of autism, they're very sensitive and they're very trusting. And so the event that happened on the bus, while some other kid may be able to shrug it off, it was, um, traumatizing, severely traumatizing to him. Mm -hmm. So as, 
um, the summer progressed and I was talking to my friend. My friend happens to have um, a business and working with um, individuals with autism. You know, she was kind of like watching him and I was kind of telling her about what happened. And because she's a professional, she would never come right out and say, yo, I think your kid's autistic. Mm-hmm. But she was saying, you know, individuals with autism tend to make up words, word phrases. I was like, oh, yeah. She's like, like Halloweenism and things like that. You know, two minutes later, she's like, okay, kids, I have watermelon and fruit. And he goes, woohoo, for Rudy's. And I went, oh. And then, like, and so she was very tactful and she was very strategic. And she would tell me something and then all of a sudden I'd see it in front of me. Wow. And, and, um, all of a sudden I went, Oh my goodness, like this could be. So she got me on the right track with, you know, this is who you need to contact. And she has been so, so instrumental in moving me through just the crisis that was that time in life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at that same time in the whirlwind of everything, I took a job at a Catholic school because again, I was um, like divinely moved to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I retired from a job in public education to start my own organization. I took a, a job that pays $20,000 a year to do the same work I was doing, you know, <laughs> making over double that. <laughs> but it felt right. <laughs> it did. It did. I was very much guided to do that um, through dreams and through um, different essences. And, you know, even even to the point where I was like, okay, okay, I'll call. Because it just it kept like reoccurring in my awareness. And um I called and, or I, I looked it up on the online and there was a position open. Um, so I was like, okay, okay, I'll call. So I called and it turned out that the position that wound up being open was for a sixth grade ELA teacher. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> perfect. It was, it was just, you know, how everything works. Like you're never, I never cease to be humbled and, um, by, by everything. And so. Um, so I started working there and it was, I have nothing but gloats to say about my experience there. The kids were amazing. Um, I was able to reconcile some of my own animosity with the Catholic church from my own childhood and from my life. And, um, it was, it was just a very healing, therapeutic, uplifting experience being there. I can't say enough. And, um, so during that time, this was in the fall of last year, right around this time, things started to spiral with my son at school. And, um, it was, it was a quick spiral and, um, it got to the point where he no longer could be in that school. He was, um, acting out aggressively towards himself and, um, um, escalating frequently in school and they weren't prepared to, prepared to deal with it. So, um, he transitioned schools, um, for now mm-hmm. and, um, so that school day is different from the school day of his homeschool, his um, his public school where my other children are. And so I, I had to resign. I had to resign from that job. And so there I am again outside of the classroom again. Um, but now I was going through this really traumatic uh, for everybody involved situation. And I'll tell you what, it was just a grieving period. Yeah. Um, I would go to meetings at the school. And all I could do was cry. I just mm-hmm. sat there and I cried and cried and cried. And thank God my friend helped me. She came with me and she was kind of my eyes and ears. And being as educated and well-versed, being a BCBA herself and owning this company, you know, she would help me. 
to hear what they were saying and she would guide me. This is who you need to contact. This is what you need to do. Oh, I couldn't like have made it. What's that? Like an angel. Yeah. Form. Yeah. I couldn't have made it through that without her. Um, cause literally people would talk to me and I saw their lips moving and I could not understand <laughs> words that were coming out of their mouth. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, it's like your brain cannot process, um, what you're receiving because your heightened emotions block those sense, those neurons, you know, the synapses yes. work properly. So, um, so during this time, then I, I actually work for her company now. Um, supporting individuals who um, are um, go attend cyber school and and perhaps have special needs and um, the workday is perfect because it's just inside the schedule of my son's day and it's working out. But I'm finally to the point now where I can get back into my business. Um, you know, it's funny how you know when you get these because when you were talking about your your epiphany in the car and your dialogue your conversation with with god Mm -hmm. about retiring and what you were going to be doing i had a similar kind of experience myself um prior to you know moving from ontario to vancouver and etc etc and then you know sometimes i i feel like for me maybe you can relate to this that sometimes when that kind of thing happens you just sort of feel like okay i'm making the step and now the you know the path is just going to be wide open and i'll just walk down it I said yes but then all of a sudden all these other things happen that seem like they have nothing to do with it but then sometimes in the midst of it and quite often you know at least following those situations we can see how it actually fits into the bigger picture yes and I love that about your story because I mean that's one of the key things for me around what it means to be in conscious service is that it is not just the academic and professional experiences and preparation. It is our life. It is who we are personally and how we integrate that into how we want to contribute and serve in society that, and in the world that is so powerful, not only potentially for other people, but for sure for us. Right. Oh, and I think, I mean, your story is just filled with that. Mm-hmm. This integration of all of this other personal experience and learning and healing and evolving and how you're pulling that together to offer something Mm -hmm. bigger. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, something huge that I have taken out of this experience with my son is what it means to be self-accepting. And I had been working on that uh, myself through, you know, um, the 11 steps of serious joy with sensei Chris Wateki and, you know, a lot of my own personal introspection and um when i when you have you know having a kid is like having your guts outside of your body and you like <laughs> you just send it off into the world and there's nothing you can do when they're away from you and um so what's so important that we've come to realize is that he needs to love and accept himself exactly the way he is um you know the other day on the way back from school he said, we, we got on the subject about him transitioning back to the public school and saying about how far he's coming, telling, I was telling him how proud I am of him. Mm-hmm. And, um, somehow it came up about how you can't even really tell that he's autistic by his behaviors now because he's not escalating. And however it was worded, it was, it was worded better than it is right now. And, <laughs> and he was kind of like, but mom, I like when people know I'm autistic. And 
it really kind of like put that into perspective for me. Like he's proud of being who he is. Being autistic is the same thing as saying I'm artistic. It's who you are. And you know, this, the way I would never point to an individual and try to, um, identify them to somebody else based on, um, a diagnosis, mm-hmm. it's equally important for the person within that identification. And this is why I prefer to say identified rather than diagnosed because it's not an illness. Um, it's not some sort of, um, sickness or, um, it's not a handicap and, and I'll argue that, um, granted there are, um, various levels across the spectrum and my son fortunately doesn't have so many of the health issues and, um, other challenges that individuals face within that. Um, but he does not view himself as somebody who should be judged, um, with, um, an eye of criticism because he has this identification. It's this That's is who so am. powerful. That's so powerful. And you know, I mean, it's an aspect of his, of his overall identity, right? I mean, he's, he's lots of things and that's part of it. And that's part of the way that he views the world mm-hmm. through that. Right. And I love what you're saying because I've, you know, my, my career started in developmental services. So, you know, filled with labels and uh, diagnosis and really, I mean, you know, some of the most tragic things that happen with the language that we choose to use is that people's whole identity becomes this one word and humanity is lost. Right. And I love, I mean, just in the way that you express yourself, I mean, you're always talking about individuals, human beings, people, and, you know, not, you know, the autistic or the, you know, the challenged or the special needs, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're very careful. And I think that that's so powerful. Because I think it's easier. It's easier to explain to other people, well, I work, you know, to use a, a term or a label or um, a diagnosis. And then what we're doing is we're perpetuating stigma and um, and taking away someone's humanity through doing that. And I just wanted to acknowledge that I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. And you know, know gonna, thank you. And you know what's going to happen is with this wave of kids coming up, they are exceptional. They are already born with all the tools they need to recreate this world. You know, we each are the creator and we each are creative beings and we co-create when we have intimate connections with other people. Um, but these kids were born with tools to not just create, but to look at an issue, break it down into its individual parts, determine the source of those individual parts and then reconstruct it back into a new whole. And, um, they are exceptional and I feel like they were born um, ready to take on the challenges that um, existed before, before them and that are existing now and perpetuating now. And you're uh, talking about the, the children of today, right? All of the children of today or are you talking? Yes. That's, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, the children on the, the autism spectrum have a very special place and that's, you know, perhaps a whole nother conversation, but mm-hmm. um they came here ready to take care of this. And so as, as time progresses, I guarantee part of the job these kids are doing is, um, there will be no more stigma because they will proudly stand and say, I'm autistic. And people are like, Oh, okay. You know, that's great. And not only just be okay with it and accept it, but be interested in it and see yeah. the good that it has to offer. Um, 
because, you know, he's, when he, when we received his formal quote unquote diagnosis, she explained it as he's more like a Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory. Um, so he has like certain idiosyncrasies and he has certain quirks. Um, but he's going to be just fine. And we just had to kind of get through the, the, the trauma and, um, to build him back up. And, you know, once we kind of work through this with him and understanding what it means to truly be proud of who you are, you know, we have two other children. We have an older son and a younger daughter. Well, now, you know, just turning your attention towards the younger daughter, what it really means for, um, for her to, to be self-aware and to identify being a young female growing up in this world. Mm -hmm. And, um, on a video that I had recently done on my, on my page, somebody asked any advice for, you know, a dad raising a young girl, a young daughter. And I really sat and thought about it. And, um, and my husband has been so supportive and so, um, he has shown me what it means through myself that I'm able to then transfer that to my daughter, what it means to be okay with your body, what it means to um, be educated in who you are and um, be fearlessly projecting that out into the world. I mean, this, this little girl is, she will have no problem in this life. She is so self-assured and I, and I look at her and I learn from her, you know, she, um, She's really inspiring for a, a six-year-old, I have to say. I'm very proud. And I'm very proud of my older son, you know, as well. He's kind of like the glue that keeps them all together. <laughs> you know, he's, he's your, he's your quote-unquote, you know, standard kid. He's fantastic goalie in soccer. And I'm not going to go on and on about my kids. But, you know, what it has done for me is be able to look introspectively at myself and engage in some intrapersonal dialogue. Um and what evolved out of this beyond my educational business is, you know, this, this blog page that I just started writing. And, you know, a big part of that came from a friend and I, a friend of mine and I were having, we, uh, my friend, Alexander Demetrius, we have like these conversations and he does his own thing. And, and we'd always say, you know, that was a really good conversation. Did anybody write that down? Anybody record that? Great. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and so he was kind of like, you know, you should really put that out there and write that down and go put that on a page. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, I don't, being a public school teacher, I didn't really want to have a Facebook page. And, um, right. and so we were driving down to Disney World over the summer, um, my family and my in-laws and, um, I was just messaging with him about it. And he was like, why don't you just, make a professional page. All right. Well, I'm in the car for 13 hours. I might as well fish around on Facebook. So I started it and I was like, ah, you know, I find reasons to hee-haw about it. I'm like, ah, I don't know what to call it. I'm not really a blogger. I'm not really, he's like, just pick one. <laughs> so <laughs> and that's really kind of what started, you know, um, expressing myself in that way. And, you know, doing those videos are just, it's like, nerve wracking and it's so weird talking to yourself <laughs> tell me um, about it <laughs> oh my god like how often do you you don't talk to yourself in the mirror often you know like okay. you don't see the way your face moves when you talk usually isn't that the truth isn't yes. that the truth i mean i talk to myself all the time but i'm not usually looking at myself while i right. do it right so funny. And, 
you're suddenly aware of everybody being aware of you talking and it's, it's yeah. really this strange like fun house of mirrors that it takes some getting used to but man what growth comes out of that too oh, absolutely well and and all in the spirit of self-acceptance embracing yourself yes. and yes. and standing in your own truth and and i mean there's such a powerful connection as far as you know um parenting the parent-child relationship, the grandparent-child relationship, which is very much a big focus in my life, um, and how we're, like you say, how much you're learning through those relationships, which is a complete perspective shift, mm-hmm. you know? And it's the same as, you know, when you're teaching and when you're providing service. You know, there's that old paradigm of here I am coming with all of the information, all of the answers, and I'm the expert, and I'm the one who's going to, you know, tell tell you the way it's going to be and then the paradigm we're moving into where we're in partnership we're learning from each other and we're going to recreate together and how do I best support that in the role that I'm in you know I love that you know what Valerie I want people as we're getting near the end here I want people to know where they can find you so that they can hear more about your work and you know really we're going to have to plan another another session to get more in depth with um with your program and curriculum and, and some of that information. But for now, let's tell everybody where they can find you. Okay. So um, for Mark's education, it's markseducation.pa on Facebook. Um, I don't have formal websites set up with anything just yet. Like I said, it's just kicking back up after the past couple of years that we've had. Um, but it is on Facebook. Um, and there you can kind of see an overview of my philosophy and the type of courses that I offer. Um if anybody has any questions or any guidance they can or need for any guidance, they certainly can message me there. Um, I also have an interview on there that I had done with Joyce Sweeney, who is an award-winning writer um, about um, uninhibited writing. So we'll be doing more videos there um, about different forms of writing and um, how to best um, teach it, implement it, encourage it, support it. Um, so that's markseducation.pa, I believe. Okay. And then, Mm-hmm, on Facebook. And then my quote unquote blogger <laughs> page <laughs> is, is under my name and it's V-A-L-A-R-I-E Marks. And, um, yeah, you can kind of scroll through there. I have some videos on there and the way I'm setting it up now as I progress through things evolving is I do a, a bit of writing and then I shoot a video within a couple of days briefly talking about that and then yes. back to it. Um, just to kind of keep it, keep it alive and keep it moving. Um, uh, keep that connection. I work best when I'm able to write my thoughts. I prefer that mm-hmm. time and space buffer <laughs> to, yeah. to say eloquently and effectively what I want to say. Um, and then, um, yeah. And then just having that video component where you're a real person and sometimes people aren't interested in reading, but they'll watch a one to three minute video about it. So, I love it. so both are on Facebook. Yes. Awesome. And you know what I'm going to do? Um, of course, I'll be posting the, the replay up at servingconsciously.com and I will include all of your contact information there so people will know how to reach out to you. Thank you. And, and I've watched some of your videos and read some <laughs> of your blogs and they're beautiful, Valerie. So, oh, <laughs> I mean, you're expressing that your power and yourself in the world through those words that you choose. And that's, something that we can all practice and evolve into and pay attention to and be conscious of, I think on a day-to-day basis. So I want to thank you so, so much for being here today. I'm so so like happy that you had me here. This was fun. Oh, it was a blast. We made it. (laughs) We did. 
That's perfect. So thank you again, Valerie, for being here. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. You've been listening to Serving Consciously. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bishop, and today my guest was Valerie Marks. Have a wonderful, beautiful weekend, everyone. Thank you. You've been listening to Serving Consciously with your host, Elizabeth Bishop. Consciously create your approach to work. Visit www.elizabethbishopconsulting.com. Join us on every second and fourth Friday at noon to continue rediscovering your passion. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Many bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine and More. Cheers! Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Every bunny loves honey-glazed carrots, a great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Wine is made in virtually every country in the world, and I'm ready to give you a tour to find the right one. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine and More. Cheers! Cheers!